Welcome to the 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast. Wherever you find American troops today, you'll find the men of the Transportation Corps. Enough and on time. That's the story we tell you today. The story of the Army Quartermaster Corps. These youthful servicemen are members of the Army's Military Police Corps. One of the most important forces behind the lines. The Army Ordnance Corps. Welcome back to the 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast. Once again, I'm Sergeant First Class Adam Ross, and we have a special episode today because this is our first joint episode. Today, our special guest is Marine Corps Colonel Douglas Burke. Sir, thank you for joining us in studio today. Thank you for having me. I didn't realize I was going to be the first joint interview, so yeah, I'm pretty excited about we've that. We've gone more than 20 episodes. It's been all Army and civilians the whole time. So, yeah, you, you're the first, sir. Fantastic. <laughs> That's what Marines like to be. And um, so you you come, you're in Korea, sir. You're an um, element of your Marines. Uh, but you're front, you come to us from Japan. You made a tr- special trip out from Japan. Can you tell me a little bit about your unit in Japan? Absolutely. So... I'm the commanding officer for Combat Logistics Regiment 37, which is part of the 3rd Marine Logistics Group underneath 3 Marine Expeditionary Force on board Okinawa, Japan. Uh, 3 MEF, Marine Expeditionary Force or MEF, is actually, we're spread between Hawaii and Japan. So we cover a big swath of geography within the Indo-Pakameo. Um, for CLR 37, we, we provide a lot of different services within the MLG and to the 3MF. For the MLG, we act as the headquarters element for the Marine Logistics Group and, uh, and my boss, Brigadier General Wolford. Uh, we also provide uh, food service services like dispersing and expeditionary contracting, communications support. Um, we also have combat, uh, combat logistics companies that provide supply and maintenance support. So we really do a little bit of everything. Okay. And so we, we don't see um, life in Korea. You don't see too many Marines here in Korea, but there is like a permanent presence of Marines. And so they're um, in Area 4 as well. You got to visit them while you were here? Absolutely. So we have uh, Marine Forces Korea, which is the MAR-4. So really looking out for those operational aspects, um, acting as a headquarters. And then they were really critical in enabling us to, to get in here and, and meet everybody that we were able to meet while we were here. So they're, they're uh, definitely value added for, for what we do and what we've been doing. And uh, some, we, um, most 19th ESC units will work with Koreans, whether uh, KNs or Korean Service Corps or Republic of Korea Army almost every day. So what, what's it like getting to interact with uh, Rock Army during your time here, sir? So our, our time uh, working with the Rock Marine Corps has been phenomenal. Oh yeah, Rock Marine Corps. No, right, no, okay, right. I'm just used to it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, what, what I found during my entire time in the Marine Corps working with different services in a coalition environment is we're a mo- lot more alike than we are different when you get down to it. Um, so the, uh, the engagement's been absolutely phenomenal. And um, so in... In, in Japan, you obviously we have an, a long-standing alliance with with Japan with with their military. What can you say about the Rock U.S. alliance, sir? I think the Rock U.S. alliance is strong. Um, you know, Three MEF is this is part of our area of operations. It's something we're we're very focused on, and and we're ready to support 
our our friends and allies in Korea at a, at a moment's notice. It's one of the reasons that we're here. The Korean Marine Exchange Program, it's it's a normal course of business for us. So we get out here um, pretty frequently with different types of units in order to strengthen and, and, and work together as, as much as we can. So the uh, KMAP, that's what the Korean Marine Exchange Program is? That's it. Okay. And uh, so what, reading about uh, 3MEF, one of the things that is, I read is that it is shaping the, the Marine Corps future. What, what are some of the innovative things that 3MEF is doing, sir? So the uh, current commandant of the Marine Corps, General Berger, is really using Indo-PACOM as our focus of effort right now. Uh, and we're here. So 3MEF is, we're in the AO and we're here all the time. So we're, we're considered the stand-in force for the Marine Corps. So when, as we look at what the Marine Corps is gonna look like in 2030, uh, one of his big initiatives is Force Design 2030 for the Marine Corps. Um, it's really, how does 3MEF look over the next 10 years? Um, so we're looking at, you know, how do we transition from now until 2025 until 2030? And I'd say, you know, innovation runs the gambit. Um, you know, how we're task organized, how we work, how we work within the joint community, um, really focusing on being part of the Naval Expeditionary Force. I think um, one of the things that I've seen since we've started departing Iraq and Afghanistan is refocusing on our amphibious routes and, and getting back to our, our naval partnership and, and really being an integral part of the Naval Expeditionary Force. And uh, staying on that joint element you mentioned, sir, so you you talked earlier about how you've been meeting all the different services here in Korea. What have been some of your takeaways meeting the different services? I think the takeaways are just what a phenomenal presence that the the U.S. has across the board. Um, I think the the Army's got a pretty big footprint on the peninsula, so we've been spending a lot of time with the Army. uh, we met the uh, 8th Army G4 early on. Um, we've inter- interacted with folks with the uh, 18th or the 19th ESC, excuse me. Um, we actually met the battalion commander for the Korean Service Corps, which was very interesting. We learned a lot of things that we weren't we weren't aware of at that time. A very unique unit. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely, and a tremendous span of control for a uh, for an Army Lieutenant Colonel. Mm-hmm. So very impressive. Um, we met elements of the. Uh, Materiel Support Command Korea, uh, very impressive organization. Um, we've also met folks from uh, the Defense Logistics Agency here in Korea, um, as well as the uh, Military Sealift Command. Uh, you name it, I think I mm. think we've talked to it. Um, Air Force as well. So we we've really tried to to spread out and talk to as many folks as we could. So uh, I imagine you spent a good amount of time down there in Pohong, where uh, Mar4K and uh, Rock Marines are. Had you spent much time down in this area of Korea before you came over here? No, um, actually not. It, I, you know, we did, uh, again, initially we were kind of all over the place. You know, once we came out of our, excuse me, once we came out of uh, ROM on, on Camp Humphreys, we've really been kind of hitting all over the place. Mm-hmm. I think the the last time I was in Korea was in 2003, oh, and really? uh, yep, yep. And we, I, that time I spent most of my time up up and around uh, Camp Casey and, and Warrior Base, again doing some training with the mm-hmm. Koreans and uh, 
and at that time it was a uh, Marine Infantry Battalion. Okay. So we've been doing this for a while. That's good. Yeah, I imagine. It, have you gotten up to KC on this trip, sir? No, sure haven't. It probably has not changed that much since you <laughs> left. But, <laughs> right. but yeah, Korea as a whole, yeah, has changed quite a bit. I'm sure you've seen. Absolutely. So um, let's talk a little bit about Japan then. So um, we like to talk about Korea as the assignment of choice on this podcast, where there's a big campaign within the army to get soldiers kind of excited about coming to Korea. Uh, what, what is what is? Could you describe for us life in Japan, life in Okinawa for Marines? Absolutely. I, I think, you know, life in Okinawa is, is phenomenal, especially if you like the outdoors, if you like beaches, some of the best scuba diving on in the world you can find in Okinawa. Uh, I think the relationship with the, with the local people is, is really strong. Um, and we've get opportunities like this because of Okinawa's geographic location to everything else in East Asia. Um, you know, Marines get to experience a lot of different deployments, whether it be um, Thailand, Korea, the Philippines, you know, you name it, we're trying to operate all over theater. So I think you get a lot of unique opportunities in Okinawa that um, you wouldn't get if you were stationed someplace um, in the States. What about the historic uh, element of Okinawa, especially for Marines? Is that something that's impressed upon Marines when they're, they're stationed in Okinawa? Absolutely. You know, the, the number of uh, battlefields and you know, the uh, the battle studies that you're able to do here where you can actually, you know, read about it and then walk the ground and, and see where people fought and died is it's uh, it, it absolutely makes you think. And, and again, it's an opportunity you just don't have anyplace else. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Yeah, here here in Area 4, uh, we have Hill 303. It's not too far from us. Yeah, if you have a chance to read about that, it's one of the historic battles just in our backyard, you know, over there at Camp Carroll. And so, um, sir, uh, I was reading your biography. You're from San Diego, you know, obviously a Navy and Marine hotspot. And you enlisted in uh, the, the, the date kind of uh, made my eyes pop a little bit when I read August 1990. That was when kind of a, a interesting time in the military. That was right when Iraq was about to invade Kuwait. So what, what are your memories from enlisting in 1990, sir? It was was definitely an interesting time. I think you know that was a time in the military where where things were had been fairly quiet for for a while. Um, so when I enlisted, I I do remember a lot of people yelling at me once I stepped into the yellow footprints at uh, Marine Corps Recruit Depot in San Diego. Um, and then that was that was basically the next thing I remember was all of a sudden you know we're we're gearing up to to go to the Middle East. Um, I think people were surprised during that time about how quickly we, you know, we were able to, uh, to engage and, and win at that time. So I was basically still in the training pipeline while, while folks were over there. Um, but I, I do remember February 28th, uh, my birthday is when we had troop handlers come in, we were doing a, a field exercise as part of training coming in that saying, you know, basically the, the conflict is over. Um, you know, and it was just that quick. Hmm. So, and so, um, do you, you come from a military family then? Is that, um, what, what kind of influenced your decision to enlist in the Marines? I, I do. So my, my father is a uh, retired SAR major in the Marine Corps and uh, he and my mom met in the Marine Corps. Um, so definitely part of, part of the family. I think, uh, the big reason I joined was just the opportunity to, to do different things in, in different places, which mm -hmm. the Marine Corps has given me in, in spades. So it's been great. And so in the Army, we call it a logistician for, for officers kind of in this career field. So have, has this always been your side of the house um, in your officer career? 
Absolutely. So I started out as a uh, supply officer. I think the army would call it a quartermaster. Mm -hmm. And then, um, but we, you know, we try to make as well-rounded an officer as we can. So I've, I've done jobs doing supply and logistics throughout. And then once you're promoted to Colonel, you become an 8040 or a Marine Corps logistician. Okay. And, um, another thing that, um, you know, you mentioned your ROM when you came into Korea, sir. You know, Korea is, you know, one of the, especially down here in Area 4 was one of the epicenters for COVID when the pandemic first broke out. What have been, what's been your experience in Japan and in, in handling the uh, the pandemic with your Marines and, and the, prevent, the prevention element of that? I think it, it's twofold. You know, we, we take all the mitigation, um, we, we do all the mitigation that we can as a force preservation, right? Making sure that we're, we're following everything that the science tells us to do. Um, I think the, you know, the recent mandate to vaccinate has been tremendous. Um, you know, everybody we brought over to Korea was vaccinated. Um, and then before getting onto the airplane, everybody was, or getting onto the airplane or on the uh, high speed transport, everybody was tested. We got tested when we got here and then we did a day six test. Um, in Japan, we, you know, it's been a balance of doing what we could as a military to preserve the force as well as being respectful to the local community. Um, so, you know, staying really in tune with where the community was at in terms of their transmission rate um, and then reacting in kind. So as, you know, things as the transmission rate went up, we would be a little bit more restrictive in what we were allowing the service members to do in the local community. Um, things have gotten a lot better. So over the last uh, couple of weeks, things have really opened up on the island and, and people are, are able to get out there and, and enjoy the local community a lot more. Yeah, I think that's been the big challenge for us here, too, sir, because, you know, especially you see here in Camp Walker, you know, we're right in the city. You know, we're members of the community. We're not like an isolated um, military base. And so you have to, you know, look at how the the host nation is handling these things. And we have to, you know, be good stewards with them here as our, as our partners. So um, last topic I'm going to hit, sir, kind of on that same note, um, you know, in the army in Korea, we've got a lot of young soldiers, first termers, maybe their first time really away from home, you know, after basic training. How do you, how, I'm sure you have a similar situation there in Japan. What, what's something you do to, to handle that as, as a leader, you know, help these, these Marines, maybe they're, it's their first time outside the U S. I think, you know, how you welcome a Marine or a service member, because we, ha we have Navy as well, so Marine or Sailor into the organization um, means everything. I think that that first 90 days in terms of how you receive them and how you integrate them into the unit is critical. And uh, one of the things we try to do is, um, you know, really hone in on those things that are unique to Okinawa that you will not get an opportunity to experience anyplace else. Um, I think what I found is, is our young Marines and sailors have checked in is a lot of them wanted to come out here. Uh, they were excited to come out here to experience a different culture and, and, uh, and be at the forward edge of what the Marine Corps is, is doing right now. So it hasn't been as tough a job as you would think because they're all really excited to be out here. Yeah, that's I think in the army, we, we find like once you can get someone here and they kind of push out maybe some of the biases they had before, whatever myths they heard, that's when they, they start to enjoy it and they look at extending maybe. But, um, sir, I want, wanted to thank you for coming by the podcast and uh, again, follow uh, three Marine Expeditionary Force on Facebook and uh, third MLG as well, third Marine Logistics Group. And uh, 
this is our first joint podcast hopefully not the last but sir thank you hope you and your marines enjoyed your time in korea thank you very much it's been a fantastic experience all right until next time this is the every soldier counts podcast we'll talk to you next time